Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Born in the right family, went to the right schools and all that stuff. But even his standard and definition of good and doesn't qualify you to get into heaven. And here's what Paul says at the end of his life. And he, this is how he finishes well. In verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is, is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have, who have loved his appearing. Don't fall for the idea that a life following Jesus will be easy. It's compared to a race in Scripture. And it's much more like an ultra marathon than a short sprint. It requires perseverance and determination, not to battle your way to victory by your own strength, but to keep your heart surrendered and focused on following Jesus. As Pastor James continues our study of Genesis in today's message, he'll remind us that this challenging race can only be completed through the strength of Christ. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 48 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Genesis chapter 48 is the coming to a close of um, one of the patriarchs in Jacob. And it's not so much how you begin, it really does matter how you, how you finish, how you end. Do you, guys, do you guys ever see that movie in the 90s called Cool Runnings? Huh? Get on, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme, get on up, it's push cart time. If you don't know, then I'm sorry. It's a Disney movie from back then, this Jamaican bobsled team. And so if you're unfamiliar with this story, um, these guys are uh, amazing runners. They're track stars, which is so funny because the last Winter Olympics, I was watching bobsledding and, and luge and all that. They're using track stars now because they're incredibly fast. Um, so put some spike cleats on these guys and man, you can get down that, uh, what, that slalom thing, whatever that is, really fast. But if, if you're familiar with that story, um, these guys initially beginning, uh, they were a joke. A laughing stock. Like, you're really trying to do this? Who do you think you are? You'll never make it. You'll never make it. And all that good stuff. And then over the course of the time and the different runs and all that good stuff, they begin to get better and better and better. And, and, and eyes were opening up. People were wowed and amazed by just the growth and the development and all that good stuff until like the final race, the final race for it all. And they wipe out. And they wipe out. And there's a beautiful scene within that movie of what do they do? They get up, they pick up that bobsled, and they walk to the finish line. Um, that in and of itself is almost greater than the gold medal that would have been awarded to them or whatever at the end of it. Uh, and I, I use that as just an illustration to really to describe Jacob's life. Um, the guy didn't start off, I mean, it kind of started off all right. Uh, born in the right kind of family, right? I mean, son of Isaac, and, but he had a brother who's Esau and twin brother. And you could tell that there was, it wasn't necessarily the most nurturing household to be a part of, specifically because dad chose his favorite, mom chose her favorite. Dad chose Esau, mom chose uh, Jacob. And, and, and Jacob had this thing about him where um, he was willing to deceive people in order to get what he wanted out of them. And he did it to his own dad in his dying days. 
uh, which is going to be very reminiscent of the story we go through today. Uh, he would go so far as to um, kill alongside with his mom to, to kill a goat and take the skin of that goat and put it on his arm so that he could trick his blind dad into, no, look, it's me, it's Harry. That's Esau. It's Harry. It's your son, Harry. Uh, look, I smell like I'm rubbed dirt all over myself. And go so far as to, to lie to your dad to, to get a blessing from him. Uh, although it was promised to you as a younger son, you were going to get this. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to trick your dad. You didn't have to do any of that stuff. So that's kind of when our, one of our first introductions into Jacob and his life. And then we watched him throughout his life. He had some highs and he had lows all throughout his life. And you could look at him thinking like, you're a man of, you're a man of God. You're in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. But we look at it at the end of his life and you can see like, regardless of the ups and regardless of the downs and all that stuff, it really is going to be how this, how this man of God finished his life. And just as a reminder, let me read to you what Paul, the Apostle Paul, said about himself, because he started off, quote unquote, good, born in the right family, went to the right schools and all that stuff. But even his standard and definition of good and doesn't qualify you to get into heaven. And here's what Paul says at the end of his life. And he, this is how he finishes well. In verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is, is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have, who have loved his appearing. So that's the Apostle Paul saying, and he would even give his own testimony of like, man, I was the worst. Sinner of all, the chiefest of all sinners, saying, I, I started out, I thought I was starting out good, but I was actually living my life contrary to God and, and everything that he wanted for me, but there was a switch that had happened, and I finished well. Jacob, born in the right family, quote unquote, and all that stuff, but man, it wasn't, it wasn't all that stuff, it was how he finished, and that's Genesis chapter 48. We, well, 49 is when he's going to pronounce blessings on his son, and then he's going to pass away. But 48 really gives us a picture of how this guy has changed over the course of time. We, one thing, that, just to preface this chapter, in chapter 47, when he was standing before uh, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, dude, you're really old. How old are you? Like, I can't believe my eyes. How old are you? And, and we remember that what Jacob had told Pharaoh. He says, listen, um, my days have been many. Uh, but my days have been evil, good and evil. Like he, he acknowledges, like there's been a lot of ups and downs in my life. Uh, I haven't lived as long as my forefathers, but there's been a lot of ups and downs in my life. But you, even from that conversation going into chapter 48, there's even still this, this continual like growth that's happening in this man's life as he's nearing the end of it all. Look at verse 1 of 48. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told uh, so this is after Jacob and the family moved down to Egypt. Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz or Bethel. Uh, it's the same. Luz and Bethel are the same. In the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you a multitude of people and give, you this, land, and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So here's Jacob on his deathbed, so to speak. Joseph comes in because he hears, it, it, look, it's not looking good for your dad. 
it's not looking good. So you need to come and you need to come and see your dad. So so Joseph's going to go to his dad. He's going to bring along his two sons, probably for the sake of having his dad to bless his sons. And immediately, immediately Jacob goes into this testimony to his son Joseph. Now we remember his testimony to Pharaoh was like, listen, my days have been kind of up and down, evil. There's been good times, there's been bad times, right? That's a testimony that we all share. There's been good times, there's been bad times for sure. But I love how it it changes when he's talking to his son, knowing that, man, this is it. And what he tells his son is, let me tell you what God has told me. Let me pass on to you what the Lord has given to me. And he, he reiterates to Joseph, almost word for word, exactly what was told to him, but the same promise that was given to Abraham, the same promise that was given to his dad, Isaac. And he's going to pass this on to Joseph because he's really placing this mantle onto Joseph, so to speak. He's Reuben, it doesn't fit in this picture at all. That would be jo- Jacob's, technically his oldest son. But he, he goes and he says, listen, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, or Bethel. You guys remember that story? And he's kind of on the run and, and there is like this, this, you know, the ladder and the angels and all this stuff. And that's when God, he had this encounter with God. He says, let me tell you about it. And he blessed me. And he blessed me. He says to me, behold, I will make you, a fruitful, I will make you fruitful and multiply. I will make, you, uh, make a multitude of you, or of you, a multitude of people, and give you this land to, your descendants, or to the descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And just so you know, everlasting technically means everlasting. It's theirs. It's theirs. The land, if there's any dispute in Israel over, over who owns the land, I can tell you this, it belongs to them. It belongs to the Jews. It's theirs. Um, there's no dispute there. That promise from God is still standing to this day. It's still standing to this day. It's to be given to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. In verse 5, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their, uh, they will be called by the name of their brothers in, in their inheritance. So here's what's happening. This crazy thing is about to, is transpiring right now between Jacob and Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob is essentially telling Joseph, hey, um, I'm adopting your two boys. Your two sons, they're not mine. I'm adopting them. And that's really what's happening here. And, and even in this culture, and you're going to see this, this transpire, he is literally adopting these two as his, not just his youngest sons, no, his oldest sons. He's saying, as Reuben and Simeon are, who would be technically his two oldest sons, he's like, they're disqualified. That doesn't mean they're not, not, they're not his sons anymore, but concerning the passing on of the blessing, everything, Jacob, by an act of faith, is saying, listen, I'm adopting your two sons, and I'm in a place of, I'm going to give these guys a blessing. They're now mine. Any kids you have, to after the, you have after them, they're yours. They're yours. They're fine. They're yours. You can do whatever. They'll get your inheritance and all that stuff. But these boys will get an inheritance from me. I'm bringing them in as my own. And he goes on to say, he's going to recount uh, something that we may have forgotten because this has been a while now, but verse 7, he says, but as for me, when I came from uh, Padan, that would be Padan Aram, uh, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to uh, Ephrath. And I buried there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And so he's, he's telling us, so 
we, we don't want to treat the scriptures as like too like clinical and sterile in one sense. Like we're reading through these things and it's like, okay, that's good. That's good. There's an adoption. And yeah, we're going to, there's going to be, you know, 12 tribes. There's 13 tribes. If there's 12 tribes, how does it all work? And all this stuff. Please never miss the humanity behind these characters that are real people. This is real stories we're talking about. These are real individuals that God has used. And I want you to remember this. You have Jacob who's on his dying, on his deathbed, talking to his beloved son, Joseph, who was the firstborn of his favorite wife, Rachel. And he's reminding his son, Joseph, about his mom and when she had passed away. Like, don't ever let that pass by. That's, that's, can you imagine standing with your dad, and if your mom has passed away, and your dad's saying, hey, remember your mom? Remember your mom when she passed away? And how much I loved her, and, and, and just all this. I mean, those, these are heavy emotions that these guys are dealing with. It's not just like, okay, let's just go through the formality of this, and da 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 No, no, this is like a very intimate time between a father and a son concerning an inheritance and all that stuff, but also remembering a mom who had passed away on the journey. And, and we stress uh, pretty heavily, you know, get into the Word of God. You, you want to know how to finish well. John Piper mentioned this. He gave out four things of, you know, how to finish well. One of the things at top of the list um, was, number one, you need to spend time with the Lord. And you need to spend time with the Lord in His Word daily. You want to finish well? You got to stay in this Word. Read it. Study it. Apply it. Spend time with the Lord. The other thing he had on that list, I can't remember three and four, but I do remember it for the first two. The other two was, um, you know what? Never cease to remind yourself of the gospel. You're like, well, I'm already saved. So? So am I. I've been saved for 20 years. You know what I need every day? A reminder of what he has done for me. A reminder of what he... Because you know, we have this enemy who likes to remind me almost daily of how awful I am and what a sinner I am and all that. So... Remind yourself, remember, remember what he's done for you. That's how you finish well. That's how you finish well in this life. Here's Jacob on his deathbed, and what's he doing? He's remembering how faithful God has been to him his entire life. And recounting all these stories, playing it back, reflecting. Not just telling stories for the sake of like, you know, going down memory road and all that stuff. No, this is all just concerning the faithfulness of God within his life. When you get together with some of your old friends, you can reminisce about the good old times, but I would highly encourage this. If you're a believer, reminisce about God's faithfulness within your life. It's always good to share that with each other. That's part of edifying. That's part of building each other up. That's what we need to do more so, more than ever before. We need to be doing these things because this world we live in is, is pretty bleak in one sense. There's a lot of suffering out there. Remind yourself, remind others of the Lord's faithfulness. But here's Jacob just talking to his son Joseph saying, man, remember this journey and uh, where your mom's buried in the promised land, there in the, in the promised land for sure, uh, near Bethel. Verse 8, it says, then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, uh, who are these? Remember, he's essentially, he's basically blind, maybe just seeing shadowy figures. We don't know to what extent. But there, Joseph has his two sons, and, and Jacob's saying, okay, well, who are, these? who are these? Who are these kids? Now, they're not kids, okay? I don't know if you remember, if you go back into like Sunday school or you have like a kid's Bible, sometimes it'll depict these kids as like little, little guys. These are not little guys. These are like 20-something-year-olds. 
They may possibly, Manasseh is possibly in his 30s. Joseph himself is in his 50s at this point in time. So this isn't like young 17-year-old Joseph with like two little kids with him or anything like Erase those memories from your brain. This is 50-something-year-old Joseph with his possibly 20-something into, into his early 30s-something two boys. These are men standing with their dad. Who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place. Manasseh, meaning uh, he has caused me to forget. Ephraim, meaning he has caused me to be fruitful. What a great testimony from Joseph when he had these two boys. God had blessed him with that. Concerning all the past, all the drama from his family, he was sold as a slave by his brothers. Uh, and, and Manasseh, it was a testimony of like, God has caused me to forget those things. And essentially to be able to move on. What happens when you're able to move on beyond those past hurts? There can be fruitfulness within your life. Don't hold on to those things. There's a good lesson even within that. Manasseh, he's caused me to forget. Ephraim, he has caused me to be fruitful. These are the two boys that God has blessed me with in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. So that's what Joseph does. He's going to, it says here, uh, that the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. And this is where that reminiscent part of, of Jacob standing before his dad, Isaac. Isaac was, had the same condition. His eyes were dimmed and he couldn't see. That's why Jacob was able to get in there and to deceive him and to trick him, his own dad. I wonder if that's stirring in his mind in this moment in time. Because essentially, this is the exact same thing. Only Joseph doesn't have to trick his dad. Ephraim and Manasseh, they're not looking to get anything from Jacob in that sense. They're not trying to trick him or deceive him. They're just there out of respect. And Joseph wants to see his dad because his dad is dying. He's on his deathbed, but his eyes, they're going out. It's fading. That vision is fading. And so Joseph is going to usher his boys to him. So it says, Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and he embraced them. So even with that, it, it's almost as if that you can, you can picture that as like Joseph is bringing his boys and as, uh, as we can say Israel or you can say Jacob, whichever one you prefer here at this moment, the Bible says it's Israel at this moment in time. As he's sitting on that bed, to, to each of his knees, Joseph is positioning his sons. That would be visually represent, that'd be a visual representation of him adopting these two boys as his own. That's kind of what they would do in that sense right? Oftentimes, the person would sit the kid on their lap or on their knee, signifying this, this child is now mine. Now, I don't know if Jacob in his state is going to be taking a 30-year-old kid and placing him on his knee. I don't think that that's really technically what's happening there. But the image is there that this is him adopting, legally adopting Joseph's sons. So Joseph ushers his, his boys. He brings his boys near him. Uh, Jacob's going to embrace them. He's going to kiss them. And Israel says to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. This is so incredible. So incredible. Here's Jacob, dying days. This is it for him. This might be the last day of his life. And he tells his son, I never thought I was going to see you again. I never thought I was going to see you again. But not only have, have I been able to see your face, God has blessed me beyond anything that I could ever think or imagine by showing me my grandsons. Just 
praising God, testifying of God's goodness in his life. And we know that story because we walk through that story. Jacob was in a state of mourning for so long because his sons came back to him and said, hey, here's this bloody coat. You can draw your own conclusions as as to what happened, dad. And Joseph just assumed that his son was torn apart by a wild animal. So he lived for so many years thinking, my son Joseph is dead. I will never see him again. And here in his dying days, he got to spend the last 17 years of his life with his son Joseph. And here at the end of it all, he is testifying of God's faithfulness, saying, I never thought I'd see you again, but God has brought you back into my life. God has brought you back into my life. I think even within that, there's some good application for us, especially if you've experienced individuals who've been so close to you, so near and dear to you. Maybe you, you know, you kind of were running together with the Lord and things were good and then something happened and they went sideways. And you'd think, man, what happened? It's changed. Will I ever see them back again? Will we ever go into the house of the Lord together again, right? Like, will this be, is this possible? And I don't know. It doesn't look like it's a good thing. I I would encourage you, just like with Jacob here, um, number one, never give up on the Lord. Never give up on the Lord. You don't know what he can do. You don't know. It may look bleak right now, but you don't know what the Lord can do. Maybe he's working in the midst. Maybe he's working behind the scenes. Maybe he's working on that individual. Maybe there will be this reunion, so to speak, for you and for that individual. But also, let me be honest, maybe it won't happen. Maybe it won't happen. But that doesn't mean we give up on the Lord and think like, well, it's just, it's impossible. It probably will never happen to me, so I'm just going to give up all hope. No, we still hold on to hope because the Lord's still active and he's he's still moving. He's still working. He's on mission in the lives of, 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 of everyone. So if you have somebody that's been near and dear to you, like between a Jacob and a Joseph, I would encourage you, just like we see here with, J- with uh, Jacob, never give up. Continue to pray for that individual. The Lord knows, but continue to pray for that individual and that you might, you might get to experience the same kind of reunion that Jacob and Joseph had. It's a beautiful thing that we, we get to witness this thing, but... Here, here's this man, uh, Jacob, in his, in his dying day saying, man, I thought, it was, I thought I'd never see you again. But the Lord is so good. The Lord is so good. The Lord is so gracious. And again, I said this last week, Jacob's life, his testimony is a testimony of the grace of God. God is so gracious to me that not only do I get to see you, but I get to see your grandkids. Amazing. If, again, Ephesians, above all that I can think or imagine, the Lord is that good. Verse 12, so Joseph brought them from beside his knees. Here's this, this depiction here, beside his knees, and he bowed, he bowed down with his face to the earth. This is Joseph bowing down uh, with his face to the earth in front of his dad out of respect and reverence towards his father. This is Joseph, the same man who is still, even at this point in time, second in command of all of Egypt, of all of Egypt. He doesn't bow down to anybody. They bow down to him. Oh no, not a man of God, not a humble man of God. Genesis is the beginning of it all. 
not just the Bible, but life as a whole. God detailed his creation story in the first few chapters of this book, and then went on to reveal his power and glory in the following pages. We learn who he is through this book, what's important to him, and how he expects us to follow him. We're so glad you tuned in today for Bread for the Broken to learn from Genesis, and we hope you'll return for our next edition. If you'd like to listen to other messages from this series, visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd also like to invite you to come meet us in person at Calvary Galveston. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. to spend time worshiping God, reading verse by verse through the Bible, and getting to know each other better. When you visit, be sure to find Pastor James and shake his hand. Let him know that you heard him right here on Bread for the Broken. Before our time with you is over for the day, we want to ask for your help. Would you partner with us in prayer? Bread for the Broken is a ministry, and in a way, a mission field. We're reaching people for Jesus through a different kind of medium. And therefore, we need to make sure Jesus is our focus. Would you pray for Pastor James and the team that puts Bread for the Broken together? Pray that we'd all keep our eyes fixed on our Savior and be willing to follow Him no matter where He leads. Thanks for lifting us up in prayer before the Lord. Know that we too are praying for you each day. And thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' message on Bread for the Broken. We pray that you find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love and give it.